Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are getting towards the end of our player previews for this upcoming season. We have an important one for the Knicks today, and we have a fantastic guest to break it down with. We have Andrew Claudio, who you might know as the producer of the Knicks Film School podcast and YouTube channel and all the great stuff that they do over at Knicks Film School, as well as the host of a new podcast, called Final Review, which we get into in a bonus episode after this one. Talk a little bit about Final Review and what that's all about. But Gavin, today, this first episode is all about Mitchell Robinson. Oh yeah, we we go deep on everything Mitch. His season a year ago, the statistics that defined it, why he was a much better rebounder than you might think, and why the difference between him and Nerlens Noel was extremely significant. Talk about his health, his newfound weight, his statistical drop-off a year ago, and finally, whether there's a higher ceiling for him offensively and how that relates to his next contract. So all that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks, and we wanted to thank you all for making us your first listen. As always, and uh, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast, including soon to be on YouTube. And a uh, great show to check out after this might be Locked On NBA. Get some of those spicy Kyrie takes that are going to be flying after all the, the Kyrie news across the river. Uh, always fun to check out. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. Also going to be writing for Clutch Points this year. Uh, about the Knicks and going to games at MSG. So that should be very fun. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we have an awesome guest today. We have Andrew Claudio with us. He is the producer for Knicks Film School, uh, all the amazing podcasts and videos that they do there. He is in charge of those. And also the host of the Final Review podcast, which we will talk about a little bit towards the end of the show, an awesome, fun movie podcast. Claudio, how are you doing, buddy? How well, is uh, how's things going? Things are going great, Alex and Gavin. How are you guys doing today? It is good to do one of potentially a couple crossovers since I know you had my brother Jeremy on just recently. So it's good to, to mix things up in the Knicks Film School Locked on Knicks universe. Yeah, this is kind of turning into like a uh, like. Nick's film school week on uh <laughs> on locked on Knicks. We're gonna have to see if we can we can slide Macri on in here, but yeah, without giving away Chris, too many spoilers, that might free. be happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh keep your ears out for that, folks. We might have the illustrious return of Jonathan Macri to uh Locked On Knicks coming soon. But today, uh we're not talking about Macri, we're talking about another M person, Mitchell Robinson. Uh, we're going to be previewing his season and this is perhaps one of the hardest previews to do because I feel like we just got this tantalizing taste of what Mitchell Robinson could do last year 
before those two really untimely injuries struck. First, obviously, the broken hand. I would consider that more of a freak injury. Um, nothing he could have really done to prevent that, and it's not something that I anticipate will ever come up for him again because it's not like a high-stress uh, area of your body, you know, where, where I, would, I would project that things like that would break again. But then the, the more worrisome injury, he comes back for, I think it was two or three games after that hand injury and then promptly breaks his foot. Uh, and that was a, a pretty worrisome injury. It's one that has, you know, the, the particular type of break in his foot is one that has happened amongst a number of big men in the NBA. Um, it's been a career killer for some guys like Yao Ming. For other guys, they've recovered from it fine and have gone on to have long careers like Brooke Lopez. So, you know, there's there's case studies for both, kind of the case for for all major injuries in the NBA. But Mitch has spent this offseason uh, recuperating from that, still is not, as far as I know, doing full contact work at Nick's practice just yet. So things might spill into the regular season here before he, he gets going. But clearly he's put on a lot of mass and stuff. Um, Claudio, I'm going to, before we get into stats and stuff from last year, like, I'll just throw it to you. Like, what do you think about the injury situation with Mitch? How worried are you still? Like, do, is there any part of you that wonders if maybe this might be a career alterer for him? Or do you think that they're just using an abundance of caution since they know they have Nolan Snowell and Taj Gibson on deck already? Man, once you start worrying about seven footers and their feet, that's where the like career long nagging injuries start to show up. Right. Like if it's an upper body issue, then those seem tend to heal and you can adjust and it's different. But once anything from like the quad down happens, that's where I usually get a cause for concern. And it's where I think the Knicks also have that same concern in like what they did with his contract this year. Also signing two centers. Jericho Sims seems to be factored into some type of plan, whether it be more of a two way part time role to see what happens with 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 Mitch. Um, I'm I'm as worried as you could be. And a guy that is in a position that is kind of dispensable at this point, not to say that center isn't important, but. Like when he's on the court, he shows flashes of being one of the more valuable players that can not just be a dominant rim protector, but also a guy that covers a lot of ground and is your back line of defense on the wing as well. And yet your best ability is availability. And with Mitch, he just has not been consistently available throughout his time with the Knicks. So, yeah, I'm I'm as worried as you could be with a guy that I don't think has had a long enough healthy stretch in his time in the NBA. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a fair concern. And the thing is what makes Mitch so special is that athletic ability, right? And and last year we saw him make significant strides on defense because I, I think his his basketball IQ jumped up a couple of levels. But it, it was that in conjunction again with that inherent like quick twitch and, and the ability to slide his feet with guards and, and the ability to get out to threes and then recover to the rim and, and the ability to hedge. Like part of that is like it, it's smarts and it's positioning, but it's like having the confidence that you have the athleticism like in, in a pick and roll in a two-on-one situation that you can stop the ball handler and still contest the lob. So if he loses any of that, and I, I to be clear, like I, I think from this injury at his age, like I doubt it. it. It's more so like what will be the cascading effects of this throughout his body? Um, what will be the effect of him adding on more weight? 
Um, like if he if he suffers more injuries and loses any of that, then like he's he's no longer Mitchell Robinson. And I think that's that's probably why we we didn't see the Knicks offer him an extension this year. And, and then from Mitch's perspective, of course, like he, he's thinking, why would I take a perspe- an extension now? This is sort of the the lowest point of my value. If I come back and I'm fully healthy, I'm worth a hell of a lot more money than the Knicks uh, would have given me. But Alex, I'll, I'll throw it over to you to, to deep dive in on some of the stats because I, th- I think you got some interesting stuff. And then I, I was I was looking as well, and I, I thought it was it was fascinating to see how he dropped off in terms of his efficiency from his second year to his third year. Given that nominally last year he was in a better situation as a player, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you get into it, Alex. All right, we're going to take our first break. Just a reminder, this show is brought to you by Sleeper. In 2018, the fantasy sports experts at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week. It made no sense and required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick, and it's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. The days of losing because your opponent's players simply had more scheduled games to play in that week are over. The days of mindless daily busy work are over. The days of giving up halfway through the season because of that busy work are also over. In game picks, you pick one game per week for each player based on player matchups, home versus away, opponent's defensive ranking, pace of play, and more. And all of that adds up to more strategy and less busy work. Whether you prefer redraft, keeper, or dynasty, game picks has you covered. And I run my my keeper slash dynasty league for fantasy football through Sleeper. And I can tell you, the interface is phenomenal. You can do so much cool stuff like trading draft picks and everything else right within the app. It's my favorite for fantasy sports by far. Sleeper cracked the fantasy basketball code. And if you play fantasy football like me and you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you are going to love game picks. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. Yeah, so just a few stats. First off, the counting stats uh, averaged 8.3 points, 8.1 rebounds, 1.1 steals, 1.5 1.5 blocks and just 2.8 fouls in 27 and a half minutes per game. That was his uh, lowest foul number per game in his highest minutes per game. So that, of course, was a big storyline last year. Uh, his block percentage at 2.8% and his steal percentage at 1.8% placed him in the 80th and 84th percentiles among bigs, respectively, per cleaning the glass. There was a sort of interesting trend as far as rebounding. With him, which actually Prez, uh, our buddy Prez at uh, Presidente underscore on Twitter, uh, wrote about this at one point for the Strickland. But he was 88th percentile in offensive rebounding percentage per cleaning the glass uh, at 12.8%. But he was only 33rd percentile in defensive rebound percentage at 15.9%. But if you look at the stats available from NBA stats, he actually led the league in box outs with five per game and led the league in team rebounds on box outs at 3.7 per game. So that sort of lets you know that on the offensive end, Mitch is a really dominant offensive rebounder, and and obviously we've seen a million times what he can do with an offensive rebound with his his athleticism, you know, going for those put-back dunks or just the quick second jumps to get back up and get a layup, whatever the case. But on defense, it seemed like he was more just kind of using his body to shield the the biggest guy on the opposing team so the guys like Julius Randle could go in and get that rebound and we obviously saw Randle 
put up his uh, whatever it was, 24-10-6 season total stat line. So leading the team in rebounds there. Uh, that was in large part due to, you know, at least when Mitch was out there, Mitch creating those opportunities by sealing off the biggest guy on the other team. Uh, another quick quick stat to using the B-Ball Index lineup creator tool, in case there was any, uh, dis- you know, any doubts about him versus Nerlens Noel in the starting lineup. Uh, the Knicks finishing at the rim and getting to the rim percentile jumps up almost 10 points when you put Mitch in instead of Nerlens Noel. And there's a minimal drop-off in defensive numbers. Uh, I think actually Noel raises their uh, defensive LeBron, which is uh, B-Ball Index's um, like catch-all box score stat that they use. Uh, he raises their defensive LeBron by a little bit, but it, the offensive LeBron drops exponentially with Nerlens out there versus Mitch as well. So uh, Gavin, I don't know if you want to introduce your couple stats real quick too, before then we throw it to Claudio to, to react to this, this little stat dump here. Okay. Yeah. So mine, mine are, are literally the most basic ones, but just, just the fact that he, he went um, from shooting 74% from the field to 65% from the field and uh, less significant, but still worth noting 60% free throw shooters, a rookie, then mid fifties, his second year, 49%, his third year, obviously like he only gets to the line like once per game. So very, very small sample size, but worth, worth watching to see how that shifts over the course of his career. But the, the field goal percentage is, is maybe the one that I'm most fascinated by. Like I, I'm kind of like, I, I just find it hard to pinpoint why that would be because obviously he had to deal with Alfred Payton last year, but arguably he's, he's still a far better talent around him and, and a far more coherent system with Tom Thibodeau than he did the year before um, under, under Fisdale and, and with, with even worse point guard play, if that, if that was possible. So I'm curious if that rebounds in a better ecosystem, but Claudio, I'll, I'll throw it to you to react to all that. Listen, I don't mean to keep piling on the guy, but it's really hard for me not to see an improvement when the point guard position has been changed this year. I just, so many other factors on this team, RJ, uh, all the spacing, Mitch, you name it, better point guard play is going to matter on this current roster because they have a better point guard. Um, having said that, I, I tend to wonder specifically with Kemba and his passing ability, like, are we going to see a more dynamic version of Mitch that catches more lobs is able to be not necessarily that you're calling plays for him, but the, the way that I keep going back to the Hawks and how they use the pick and roll with, with Trey and Capella, where that's going to be available more. now that you have a guy like Kemba that can break down a defense and isn't just looking to throw the ball at the rim, like the Knicks former point guard. Um, yeah, I think every stat you guys have thrown at me shows what we all know about Mitch is like, he's a productive player and at times an elite player when he's on the court, it really just comes back to me with this guy. Like how much are you going to be on the court? Which is an unfortunate thing to say about a guy. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I think that, I think the field goal percentage thing, there was also something to be said for the fact that outside of a few pet plays that, you know, they ran specifically the one that always stands out to me that I've probably mentioned a thousand times on this show is the, the quick RJ and Mitch pick and roll at towards the beginning of the game where they would get RJ going downhill off a, a quick screen from Mitch. And then, you know, RJ would either make the decision to take it all the way in himself or toss a lob to Mitch. And it was really effective at getting both of them going early in games. But other than that, like 
and maybe this was Tibbs early on recognizing the futility of the point guard spot, but they didn't run a ton of pick and roll for Mitch. I think that we can take a lesson from the first couple preseason games and how they've been operating, even with a guy like Julius Randle, who was, you know, so often the the ball handler last year and now has been thrust back into a role of being more of a pick and roll, pick and pop guy. I think we can glean from that that like if you get if you get Mitchell Robinson out there and you have Kemba Walker handling the ball now, I, I think the Tibbs is going to be calling a lot more pick and rolls uh, or Kemba himself will be calling a lot more pick and rolls with Mitch to get the both of them going because Mitch sets when he wants to. He sets good, hard screens. Uh, sometimes he sets fake baby screens, but hopefully that has now left him now that he's apparently put on 60, 60 total pounds of muscle in two years. Um or according to a since deleted uh, video, they said, oh, is that all muscle? And he went, well, it's a little bit of fat too. <laughs> but hopefully, you know, whatever mass he put on is going to be super useful to this this mission to, uh, you know, set better screens and, and be a stronger player um, and, and be one of the, the strongest players in the league at the, at the center spot, I think. I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that if he has indeed put on 60 pounds and is now playing somewhere around two, 280 at seven foot one that we could see Mitch potentially enter that sort of upper echelon of guys like Clint Capella, uh, Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid, you know, the, the biggest bad at uh, Jokic, obviously though, he's not as much renowned for his defense, but you know, the biggest, baddest dudes that are the strongest and can do the most on the inside. I, I think that Mitch has a, a real chance to be, in that category this year, if he can prove healthy. And obviously that's a big if, because we still don't quite know what's going on with the foot there. Um, I guess though, I wanted to, I wanted to throw that at you, Claudio, that, you know, talking about that, that newfound mass that Mitch has, do you think, I mean, I, you know, I was thinking about this, trying to think of a, another case of this that I've seen before. And I mean, we've had our fair share of guys that, on the Knicks that, you know, come into their second, third, whatever season. And we go, wow, look at how much they bulked up. Like Kevin Knox came into his second year and we were like, oh my God, he looks like a totally different player. Like he's huge. And then, you know, it didn't really change anything about how he played. We saw the same thing with Porzingis, you know, back in the day, he put on some, some muscle and didn't really change how he played. The one case Knicks wise that I could think of that might be analogous to this with another guy who dealt with his fair share of injuries was, I remember in the 2011 to 12 season uh, after the lockout, Amari Stoudemire came back and was like enormous. And he said that he had put on, and I mean, he was already a fully grown man of an NBA player. And he said that during the lockout, he had put on like 20 pounds of muscle. And lo and behold, early on in that season, he looked kind of clunky and he was, you know, having trouble getting around. He then dealt with back issues throughout the season because apparently, you know, putting on that much muscle mass and stuff. And I I would assume that the, the process of doing so all that time spent in the weight room doing, you know, hard reps, you know, with his upper body and everything hurt his back some. And then he spent most of the season like injured and, and fighting to try to get back to himself. And obviously because of his knees kind of just never found that again, but it also, I think put more stress on his knees, having that extra mass. Does it worry you at all seeing Mitch looking as bulky as he is now um, no. going coming back on that foot? Not well. OK, yes. To the second part, not to the same way that Amari would, though, just to like to that point, Amari was used much differently than Mitch is going to be used in this offense, you know, where 
I mean, like, I don't need to talk about any Nick fan that remembers Amari Stoudemire's defense. Like Mitchell Robinson's already, in my mind, uh, past any level of expectation I had for Amari Stoudemire on defense. Having said that, um, Mitch is not going to be asked to be like a ball handler. He's not going to have to be asked to create offense. So I'm not worried in that sense about like the new, the new mass onto his body and the new, you know, and like with Kevin Knox, like the issue with him was like, great, you look awesome. You still have terrible footwork on defense and you play for <laughs> coach Thibodeau. That's like, unfortunately the situation Knox found himself in. Um, however, coming off of, lower body injuries and now adding more weight onto that will add more stress. And it's, it's where I, I hope that it doesn't like, I'm, not, I'm no doctor, but I hope that it doesn't add more stress onto these injuries that he's recovering from. And I, I, I hope it doesn't make him slower on defense. I hope it would still make him more athletic, but look, I, I, I can't say enough. Like, I'm glad he looks great. I'd just like to see him look great on the court. The one I keep going back to the as far as injuries go um, because of added body mass. And you'll know this, Alex, as a, a Mets fan, like a couple years ago, Noah Syndergaard showed up to spring training, like absolutely yoked. And it's like, you're a pitcher, my guy. And you're, you look like a bodybuilder. And he's like, yeah, I spent the entire off season just working on my upper body. Cause I want to throw harder. And then a month into the season, he tore his lat. And it was like, yeah, because all you've been working on is your upper body. When really, for baseball, you should be working on your calisthenics. And it's literally what Michael Jordan said about a difference between a basketball body and a baseball body. You need to be more flexible and your mechanics need to work more. And that's where working out too much can hurt you. Your agility matters on that side of, of that sport. And for Mitch, in a weird way... I'd rather him be more agile. I'd rather him be more flexible because as Gavin and, and the three of us have talked about today, Mitchell Robinson's strength is going to be on the defensive end where he's not just your rim protector, but can also like get out to the wing faster than other players can be. Uh, that's where I'd worry about him taking his physical fitness, which is weird to say he works out too much, but just having the wrong person give him the workout advice and potentially doing more harm than good with his workout programs. All right, guys, it's that time. Let's take our second break. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this year. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Yeah, I'm, I'm entirely with you, Andrew. And I think... It's fascinating to examine, I mean, assuming that element of his game sort of works itself out and he he maintains that mobility, what his ceiling is offensively. I remember saying, even going back to his rookie year, I, I was constantly saying, you know, you, you could slide him in on the Rockets this year and he'd put up pretty close to 20 points per game and shoot 85% from the floor getting lobs from James Harden. And I still I still genuinely believe that about the guy. Like his, I, I don't think across the NBA, and it, I mean, it makes sense because the Knicks were terrible, but just how good he was and how efficient he was offensively were, were appreciated by a lot of other people because for one, he was a one trick pony, but two, he was better at that one trick than anyone in NBA history, right? Like he literally set the field goal percentage record uh, out of everyone ever. 
And he did so with the worst group of point guards in, I, I don't want to say modern NBA history, but that season and one of the worst groups of point guards in, in modern NBA history. I'm sure that would be a fun uh, Bleacher Report article to compile for someone. Um, and, and this year he gets from that too, as, as we keep noting, uh, Kemba Walker, uh, borderline Hall of Famer, Evan Fournier, uh, elite, elite shooter, smart passer, RJ Barrett, suddenly very good shooter, smart passer, Julius Randle, very good shooter, smart passer, all guys who will draw attention away from him and all guys who will play unselfishly and and hopefully um, look to get him the ball because the biggest issue for Mitch and, and honestly for for Obi last year was the Knicks point guards with the exception of of Derrick Rose and I guess sometimes Emmanuel quickly I guess I'm mostly just talking about Alfred Payton but over the past couple of years it's been their unwillingness to throw lobs to bigs and it feels like if there's any degree of difficulty to the, to the lob the guard will hesitate to throw it and I feel like there there are a lot more windows every single game to do that. The great news about having all that offensive talent around him is all of a sudden the windows are that much bigger and the opportunities are that much more plentiful. But but Andrew, I'm talking about the offensive changes around him based on his context. He will presumably, in, in all this time off, you'd hope, have, have made some strides in and of himself. I know Alex and I often reference like I think it was two years ago against the Pelicans. He had he had one play where he caught it on the elbow, ripped through one dribble, dunked it, and we're like, man, if he could do that just twice a game, he's he's an entirely different player. And you'd hope in year four that's when it would come. It's hard to tell how his size will affect that. It's hard to tell how probably not getting to do a lot of on the court work over the last year will affect that. But I'm hoping he he gets to have the lob catching part of his game. And even though he is probably a distant fifth option in the Knicks starting lineup. I hope he gets a couple of windows, or I hope he warrants a couple of windows, I should say, to to show off what he can do off the dribble. And I'm not talking about breaking guys down. I'm talking about rip through, one dribble, dunk, uh, one dribble in the post, pivot, jump hook, just little simple moves that with his athleticism and the fact that the floor will be so spread are going to be very hard to stop. Do you actually see them designing like plays for him to be able to do that? I, no, I, I, no, I don't. Fifth. Yeah, I think okay. I think that would more so happen in in kind of an improvised context. But I think it's important in terms of how much Knicks are going to pay him to know is that in there or is he really just lob guy for his whole career? And, and look, generally players who start off as lob guys, like like obviously depending on their draft profile, like like someone like Anthony Davis or, or Evan Mobley, were obviously always going to be more. Most of the time, those guys just stay lob guys. So maybe maybe that is unrealistic to put on to Mitchell Robinson. But I, I think it's it's worth experimenting if that's in there because he is so coordinated. You, I, I would think that it's it's plausible. I guess I just go back to. The, the thing I've always thought about Mitch coming, like even his rookie season, when I saw what he was doing with not to put any of our previous point guards down, but not as high quality point guard play and still being able to be a, a lob threat and, and a putback threat, like just be Tyson Chandler, be the best defensive player in the league a couple years. And we won't call a play for you the entire game. But, like, clean up the offensive glass. Like, DeAndre Jordan's another great example if you want to go that way. And DeAndre Jordan made a living off of the point god throwing him lobs in a place that they named a city after that play. And I, I, I don't necessarily know if, like, if I, if I need, which is weird to say because I have no opinion. I, I have no say in what the Knicks do. They don't care what I need. But if I necessarily, like, 
prefer my Mitchell Robinson as, as an offensive threat or someone that they're going to go to offensively. When you have Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, Evan Fournier, Kevin Walker, and then name a bench player on the floor. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see if, if Mitch does have a bag, let alone if they even go to him to see what's in it, you know? Yeah, I think that pretty much Mitch's offense is is kind of just gravy. Although I will say, you know, for as absolutely lethal as the the perimeter gravity has been so far during the preseason in these first two games, I'm extra intrigued to see just how lethal the vertical gravity on the inside is going to be combined with all that once you get Mitch out there. Like, just to think about how much how much the Knicks have been able to bend defenses already with, you know, running the pick and roll with Julius and, and Fournier and making teams choose whether they want to cover one of those two guys or the other. But then, you know, if they send help, then all of a sudden you have RJ Barrett open in the corner. And then, you know, there's Kemba Walker across the court ready to receive a pass as well. Adding Mitch to that equation, then being like, oh, and by the way, the best lob finisher in the entire NBA can just streak to the hoop and we can throw it anywhere within 10 feet of the hoop and he can, you know, find a way to grab it out of the air and slam it through the bucket. I mean, it's, I think there is a real chance for this, this offense with Mitch, even if he doesn't really add anything to his offense to just be phenomenal compared to how it's been in recent years, particularly thanks to that lack of point guard play that we, can't help but bring up i mean <laughs> i mean that honestly like it's you know alfred payton emmanuel moutier trey burke was once considered the best option that the knicks had you know i mean it's the list goes on and on there's been there's been not not a not a great number of uh good point guards available to throw passes to mitch and you, you could probably argue that the top you know the the one through three starters this year for the Knicks can throw better lob passes than any, than any Knicks point guard has in the last 10 years or so. It's Um, the reason why, if you are listening to this from outside the New York Knicks bubble, it's the reason why we went so nuts that Kemba Walker is going to be a New York Knick. And even more so why still to this day, Knicks fans celebrate those two and a half weeks of Jeremy Lin because the point guard play this franchise has had since Walt Clyde Frazier has been pretty bad. And it, it, it's interesting to see what's going to happen when you have not one, but two point guard options on this current roster that I actually trust. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, both of which have have proved to be still pretty dynamite scoring the ball, but also more than willing to spread the love uh, on offense. And, of course, Mitch might be one of those guys. So I think that our final talking point here on the Mitch front, before we get into a little bit of uh, final review talk, Claudio, is, uh, and, and we can keep this somewhat brief. So I'm going to provide a couple of examples and then just ask for a number from you guys, or two numbers, I should say. Right, uh, so my question here is how much would you pay Mitchell Robinson if he proves that he can be the Mitch that we saw before the injuries last year? Which is, you know, for all the stats mentioned, Above in the show, I mean, he was pretty damn great last year, like beyond the box score numbers. He provided a lot of impact on the floor. I think that he could potentially be a double-double candidate this year. You know, if you want to invoke DeAndre Jordan, something similar to that, you know, maybe he's 13 points, 11 rebounds or something. But I think that's perfectly reasonable for him. 
uh, with a couple blocks per game as well. So, for example, two guys that Mitch often rightly or wrongly gets lumped in with, uh, Jared Allen with the Cavs just got a five-year, $100 million contract extension. Robert Williams with the Celtics just got a four-year, $54 million contract extension. So with those two numbers in mind, those are probably the numbers that that Mitch's agents at Wasserman uh, are going to take to the Knicks and say, we want to get paid something similar to this if Mitch puts together a good you know, non-injury plagued season this year, what would be your maximum number you would offer to Mitch if he oh, manages man. to reclaim last year's form, Claudia? I can I phone a friend and ask Jeremy? He's my cap guy for <laughs> issues like this. So you mentioned the the Jared Allen contract. I don't think there's any world I can go that high. Even the Capella contract, five for ninety, there's no way I could go that high. And part of it is the elephant in the room that we've been talking about today, the injury issue. He can look as great as he was as as he was last season. He can look like the dominant player we think he can be. Those injury questions are just going to be there until he shows multiple years of durability. And it's why it's tough to then offer him multiple years in any contract. And it's it's probably why I'd probably lean toward four years, like three plus one. Let me, let me make that clear. A, a three plus a team option. And at something like four for, I don't want to shortchange him, but is four for 52 too short, shortchanging him too much. Like it, it gives him a chance. It's a tradable contract. If you want to like put him in a deal with a, for, for a bigger star. Um, if you, like twisted my arm and said four for 60 and that fourth year also still remains a team, uh, a team option. Um, and Jeremy, if you listen to this and you're saying that doesn't work against the cap and you're stupid Claudio, then I apologize. Uh, but that's, that's a ballpark that that's the absolute highest I would go for a guy like that. And that's like you said, going off of the best case scenario for Mitch that, that you've laid out, that he returns to form, shows some durability this season, and is the difference maker on the court that he was last year. Yeah. So for what for what it's worth, sorry, Gavin, the the it, it would work under the cap. Both those numbers, Claudio. Thank so you're you. in good shape. Thank you. Okay. The, I can the go four home for fifty. Allowed to see show my face in front of Jeremy again. Thank you. Exactly. Four for fifty-two. I think is actually what they could offer him as an extension before the start of free agency next year. That's okay. the maximum they can do, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, four for 60, they would be able to offer him as an unrestricted free agent next year using his bird rights. So, yeah, anyway. I, I really quick. I was just going to say, I think I'm, I think I'm about the same at about the same number. I think the best case scenario for him is like a defensive year, a notch below Rudy Gobert. Um, the, the thing is he'll, uh, unless he totally transforms himself as a screener, like even, even with his insane efficiency at the rim, he'll never be that guy offensively. So he's never getting a Rudy Gobert type contract. Um, so I, I think that's reasonable. Maybe like a few million higher, depending on what the market is. But we, we've seen the center market for the last few years. And, it, and I, I said this going back to last year's playoffs, it, the center market is basically, can you stay on the floor in the NBA finals? No, then you're below this number. Yes, you're above this number. And he has shown himself to be a guy that I think theoretically can do that, but we just don't have a large enough sample size. And it, it kind of comes down to whether he's healthy come playoff time and just how much he changes the trajectory of a series come playoff time. Because I think Mitch at his best 
could be a difference maker. Like I, I think last year with Mitch, Knicks Hawks maybe goes seven games, even though the two teams like weren't all that close in a lot of other areas. So um, I, I, I'm curious. I think there's a higher ceiling in terms of his contract than a lot of people are suggesting, but there's just so much variance there that it's, it's very, very hard to pinpoint now. Yeah, I'll say I would go slightly higher than your top number, Claudio. I think I do like the idea of, you know, if you're going to go higher, definitely work that that team option in there. So I would want to shoot for three plus one or maybe even a two plus one if I went with this number. But if I was going to do a three plus one, I would make it a four year deal where it's, I, I would go as high. Again, this is under the caveat of he plays healthy this year. And he plays as well as he played last year. I'll go as high as four for 70 million, I think, which is 17 and a half million per season average value with, uh, you know, either you could do that as a three plus one, or if you can even at that same average annual value, make it a, a two plus one. I think that's fine too. You know, that gives you a little bit of an out as far as if, if the injury issues resurface or, or something like that, but also gives Mitch a dollar amount that says, Hey, you know, we really appreciate what you brought to the floor and we think that you're our center of the future probably also means probably trading Nerlens Noel um, during next off season as well. If you give him that money, which is fine. I mean, I would live with that and just keep paying uh, Taj Gibson a few million dollars through his apparently prime years uh, from 36 to <laughs> 52, I guess are going to be his prime years in the NBA. And uh, keep developing Jericho Sims as that sort of like third string guy. I I think I would be more than happy with that uh, as the result for Mitch. Uh, Claudio, I think that wraps up our Mitch talk. All right, that's it for the Mitchell Robinson part of this episode. Hope you all enjoyed the discussion uh, about Mitch and his his future with the team uh, this coming year for him and his contract, which I think is going to be the biggest prevailing storyline with Mitch this season. But we will be back with Claudio at, probably in your feed right this second. Uh, if you want to take a listen, we talk a little bit about his his new show, Final Review. Uh, do a little bit of a final review ourselves where he explains the the concept of how he and his co-host uh, Bernard Ozorowski are breaking down movies and giving them scores that can then put them into percentile rankings in a, in a more mathematic and, and uh I guess, calculated fashion than the traditional just making your lists and, and just doing it arbitrarily. Uh, so it's it's all based on arbitrary lists, but then boils it down to a concrete number where you can attempt to sort of create this percentile ranking for some of the best movies out there. But of course, you can find Claudio at Andrew J. Claudio underscore on Twitter. Uh, again, he is the producer of all the great stuff that you see, podcast, video, and all that for Nick's Film School. Uh, and the host of the Final Review Pod, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. And uh, like I said, just take a quick listen in your feed. You'll be able to find a bonus episode where we do a little final reviewing of our own with two of our favorite movies. So that'll uh, be next in your feeds if you want to take a listen to that right now. But until next time, this has been Locked on Knicks, and we will talk to you all soon. Peace out.